I'll stop touching it. <laughs> Good morning and happy Sabbath, everyone. <laughs> it is truly a delight to be here this morning with you all. As it's been mentioned, we've been going through this evangelistic series, Liberty on the Line. And today we're going to take a journey through the Sabbath. Now, every one of you should have a packet that was given out. And as we get started, the reason I'm giving this out is for you to follow along. You can take notes. In fact, there are deliberate spaces where I've given you some of the verses are double spaced, so you can write thoughts about the verses as we're going through. There are spaces where there's a bold section that's like underlined, and then there's space underneath, so you can add notes, because I'm going to share some stuff that I did not put in the document uh, that you might be interested in taking down. But as we get started this morning, I want to begin with a word of prayer as we talk about God's special Sabbath day. I just want to ask for God's blessing as we get started. So let's pray. Father God, I just want to thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to gather here this morning. Lord, your word is powerful. It is life-changing. And we're asking that you would speak to us now on your Sabbath day that you would touch our hearts, that the Holy Spirit would be poured out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In 2012, there was a remarkable discovery made. For many years, Sandy Island was shown on the maps of the South Pacific. It was a small island located uh, west of New Caledonia, a little over midway between New Zealand and Australia. But as the cartographers received a surprise when they looked at the latest satellite imagery, they could not find Sandy Island on there. It had been on maps for probably a couple hundred years. Bewildered, they sailed out to sea. They followed the coordinates to where Sandy Island was supposedly located. And it was not there. Sea upon endless sea was all that they found. How many other things, potentially, are like that? Most old wives' tales, they're harmless. But could it be possible that a commonly held belief within Christianity today simply isn't true? Could Christians believe something that simply does not exist? We're talking about the Sabbath today. If you were to look throughout the Dark Ages... We find different people groups. The Waldensians are prominent, well-known. Let's all talk about them a little bit today. The Waldensians were a group of people that maintained the purity of the scriptures during the Dark Ages. They translated the scriptures. They were students of the word. They had schools where they trained young people from a young age to become missionaries for Jesus. That was their whole educational training. Their mission was not to go out and seek a career after the world standard. They would send them to colleges for the express purpose of being missionaries because things were so dark. And when they found somebody that was interested in the Word of God, they would often have Scripture tucked away in their garments and they would pull it out and share with them. Well, one of the things that the Waldensians were persecuted for wasn't the only thing, but one of the things they were persecuted for was because they held to God's seventh-day Sabbath, which was directly opposed to the mandate of the Church of Rome at that time, which mandated the worship of Sunday as Sabbath. 
So they suffered fierce persecution. Their trial was very great. And last night we were talking about the judgment. We were looking at the fact that the judgment is very real. But as Christians, so long as we are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. We have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear as long as we remain faithful and true to the Word of God. And the Waldensians would not bend upon this point. They were faithful and true to the Word of God. They knew that Rome had changed the Sabbath, right? Just commenting here, uh, one of the cardinals, he says, You may read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and you will not find a single line authorizing the sanctification of Sunday. The Scriptures enforce the religious observance of Saturday. Okay, this is from their own admission. Council of Trent, 1566, the Church of God has thought it well, speaking of the Catholic Church, uh, thought it well to transfer the celebration of the observance of the Sabbath to Sunday. So if the Sabbath, for many Christians today, has been changed by mere men at the head of Catholicism from Saturday to Sunday, what does the Bible have to say about the true Sabbath? Well, if you have your Bibles, let's go back to Genesis this morning. Back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. In verse 1, we know it well. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the heaven and the earth. Well, what did he do? Come to Genesis chapter 2. Um, Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which which God had created and made. Thus, this is the history of the heavens and the earth, when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So let's come back to verse 3 of Genesis chapter 2. The Bible says, Then God blessed the seventh day, and sanctified it. Because in it, he rested from all his work which God created and made. Right? So the Bible is very clear here that the Sabbath was not Jewish at all. It was established at creation. God set it up. No man has the authority over the Sabbath. No man established the Sabbath. It was something that God gave to us as a special day of rest. A day that was set apart. Now, obviously we have to recognize that some of the purpose of the Sabbath has changed because of sin. Right? Because when God creates the Sabbath here and gives man the Sabbath, sin is not even in the picture, nor was it in God's plan. Now, was God cut off guard by sin? No, he was not. But, I mean, can you imagine what it was like to spend that first Sabbath with God on earth? I mean, what a wonderful Sabbath it must have been. As creation week came to its grand conclusion, God has been doing this marvelous work, and now he says, it's time for me to rest. The Bible says that God saw that it was good. He says this in Genesis chapter 1 and all those verses after certain days of creation. But then when God gets to the end of the sixth day, as he's entering into the seventh day, then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. 
Now, it's interesting to me, if God could just speak things into existence, then presumably God could have created everything in one day. Right? But God deliberately chooses a seven-day week. He chooses to create over six days. And it's actually kind of a mental health example to all of us, right? God took time, we notice, every day to reflect on his work. And sometimes in life, we get so busy that we hardly have time to reflect on what we've accomplished in a day and reflect upon the things of God. But God, even himself, even though he could have done everything in one day and he shows us that it's important to work, but to also have time to reflect. The Sabbath was originally a beautiful day set apart for worship of God, resting in his presence where there is fullness of joy. And while the Sabbath still maintains these attributes, it has become a safeguard against the busyness of life to all those who keep the Sabbath holy since the fall of man. The Sabbath is special and set apart from the other six days of the week. You know, when people say, you know what, <clears throat> it doesn't matter what day, you know, you can keep every day holy. You've got to worship God, you can worship God every day. Well, that's true as far as worshiping God every day, but you cannot keep every day holy because God set apart one day as holy. I should worship God seven days a week. <laughs> that's what it means to really be a Seventh-day Adventist, a Christian, right? Like, I don't just come to church one day a week to connect with God. No, every day I should be spending time with God. But there's something special, something different about the seventh day that God has set aside for us. Well, many Christians today have either forgotten God's special day or perhaps they're unaware. They were not the only ones historically who forgot about God's Sabbath. In Exodus chapter 16, we find the children of Israel on the other side of the Red Sea, and God was having to remind them about his special Sabbath. This is pre-Mount Sinai. God has not given them the Ten Commandments again yet. Uh, they're coming on their way to Mount Sinai. And we read here, and so it was, Exodus chapter 16, verse 22, and so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one, and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. Then he said to them, This is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today, boil what you will boil, and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up until morning, as Moses commanded, and, did not, and it did not stink, nor were there any worms in it. Then Moses said, Eat that today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Now it happened that some people went out on the Sabbath day to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Even the children of Israel, after 400 years in captivity, they're understanding 
of what it was to worship, follow, and love God had become so distorted because of the widespread idolatry in the land of Egypt. And now God is having to remind them. The whole journey of the children of Israel was bringing them back to a place where they had faith and trust in God. And you can see that some of them were still learning. And we see this throughout their story. We don't have time to go into every moment where the children of Israel failed to have faith in God. But we see even here in this moment, verse 27, that some people went out on the seventh day because they really didn't believe God and take him at his word. But this is really what it means to enter into the Sabbath rest. It is to enter into God's rest by faith. Right? Some of us, as we've come into the faith We've had to change the way we've done things, right? Some of us were probably accustomed to working seven days a week. It didn't matter. Work as much as you can. That's what most of the world tries to do. Work, 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 and save up as much money as you can so that when you retire, and that's if you're responsible. I mean, we've got part of the world that that struggles to make ends meet, and some of that is because of their own poor decisions. But some of us who have come into the faith who have come to the understanding that the Sabbath is the seventh day and that God does not want us to work on that day, have had to have those difficult conversations with employers at the risk of losing our job. I I have a good friend. Um, He's actually come and spoken here before. He's retired now, but Robert Gill, uh, he's one of my neighbors. He worked down at the Michelin factory in um, Ardmore. He didn't grow up Adventist, but his wife did. He marries her. And, you know, he would drop her off at church and then go to work. Until the Lord got a hold of his heart 50 years ago. And it wasn't just once that his job was on the line. Multiple times, different people tried to get rid of him at the Michelin factory. But he would not compromise. Towards the end, the last attempt where somebody was really upset, they didn't like that Robert got Saturdays off. They had gotten this all the way up the chain of command. But finally, when the top dog got wind of it, he says, no, absolutely not. Robert is my hardest worker. Everything that he does for our company, it prospers. And that's kind of consistent, right? Remember Joseph? Joseph finds himself taken against his will, all the way to Egypt, thrown in prison, and in the end he's exalted to a position second in command, and everything that Joseph did, God prospered in, because Joseph honored him. If we want God to honor us, we must first honor him by faith. That's what the Sabbath is. It's, it's not an easy thing. It's, it's one of those things where we're entering into God's rest by faith, believing that the blessing and the promise is still true today. As we read about the story of the manna, we find that God was preparing his children to meet him soon. Finally, the Israelites made it to Mount Sinai, where they were commanded to get ready to meet their God. Now we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 19. Go to Exodus chapter 19 with me this morning. Exodus chapter 19. And there's a couple key highlights here. Um, Verse 21. 
And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord and gaze, that many of them perish. Let the priests also which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth and come upon them. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for thou charged us, saying, Set bounds about the mountain and sanctify it. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee. But let not the priests and the people break through and come up unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. So what this is setting up for us as we come into Exodus chapter 20 is God gave some specific commands. All the people were supposed to come up to a certain point to Mount Sinai because what was about to happen was not going to be a private communication between just God and Moses. As we come to the Ten Commandments, it's important for us to recognize and remember that all the children of Israel were supposed to prepare themselves and all the children of Israel were supposed to come up to a certain point a boundary that had been set at Mount Sinai because all the children of Israel were going to hear the Ten Commandments as God spoke. And this is very clearly evidenced when we come to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 1 where it says, And God spoke all these things, saying, Moses was not charged. It does not say, And and the Lord told Moses to say unto the people. That's not what it says. It says that God spoke all these things, saying, I am the Lord thy God. I am the Lord your God. Here at Mount Sinai, the children of Israel were entering into the very presence of God. Now Moses was all the way up there, but all of Israel heard God speak the Ten Commandments because God was not going to entrust his law to any man. Now this is strong and compelling evidence, just from the start, that God's law is still valid today and unchanged. God didn't give any man the responsibility. We're going to compare and contrast just a little bit the difference between God's law and Moses' law. But now we come down to the Sabbath commandment. Now, we're going to notice something that's very interesting about the Sabbath commandment. We know this probably already, but let's just say it together or recite it. Maybe you don't want to look at the screen, but I put it on the screen. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, and you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and hallowed it come back. So here's the Sabbath commandment. And the Sabbath commandment ties us back to creation. God reminds us, this has been established at creation, for in six days the Lord created heaven and earth. Now, we also have to notice that it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, verse 10 now, but The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Jews. Is that what it says? Look there, verse 10. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Jews. What does it say? What does it say? The Lord your God, right? It's not the Sabbath of the Jews. It's the Sabbath of the Lord your God. So much so that this Sabbath rest that God gave his people applied not just to them, but even the stranger, the foreigner that might be coming through that day even for the stranger within your gates. 
Many Christians today, they say, well, the Sabbath was done away with at the cross. The Sabbath was a part of the laws of Moses, done away with at the cross. Well, is that true? Um, Well, I want you to notice something very important. We've already established from the beginning at creation, Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, that God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. He set it apart as special. Now, if we come here to Numbers chapter 23, we read this. Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19 and 20. God is not a man that he should lie. Now, context here. Balaam is speaking. Now, Balaam wasn't a good man. He once was a true prophet. But we have to remember here that God told Balaam, because of his stubbornness, because of Balaam's refusal to follow the will of God, when God finally allowed him to go and try and curse Israel at the request of the king of Moab, Balak, God tells him, you're going to have to say everything that I tell you. And what happens? Three times, all Balaam can do is bless the children of Israel. So when we're here in Numbers chapter 23, we're learning something directly actually from God because God is the one speaking through Balaam. Balaam had no choice but to say what God told him. Here we go. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. He has said, will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received command, a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. Here we come to a very important understanding in Scripture. What God has blessed, no man can reverse. No man can reverse. God blessed the Sabbath day from the beginning of creation. And in the Ten Commandments, he reminds us of this fact that the Sabbath to us now as fallen human beings is a memorial of the fact that we serve the Creator, that we serve the living God who created this world. What God has blessed, no man can change. Now as we look here at the Ten Commandments, we're going to notice some important things. Okay? First of all, we already identified that God spoke all the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel. Now you're going to see here in your notes a line for comparison between the laws of Moses and the commandments. You may want to write some of this down. Okay? So with the Ten Commandments, God spoke them to all the children of Israel. With the laws of Moses, God spoke them to Moses, and Moses gave them to the people. Okay? It's a very important difference. With the Ten Commandments, we know that God wrote the Ten Commandments himself. Notice this. Then the Lord delivered to me two tablets of stone written with the finger of God, and on them were all the words which the Lord God had spoken to you on the mountain. Who did he speak them to? To you on the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of assembly. There's no question that God spoke to all the children of Israel and that God himself wrote the Ten Commandments. Now again, contrast this with the laws of Moses. Moses heard them from God, he wrote them down, and gave them to the people. Okay? There's a huge difference. And it's important for us to understand the difference between the two. God wrote them himself. Did he write the second pair? Yes, he did. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 1 and 2, tells us that God also wrote the second pair. The only difference with the second pair 
between that of the first pair is because Moses broke them, God asked Moses to hew the stone out upon which God wrote. That's the only difference. What about Colossians 2.16? Many Christians will say, well, you know, let no man therefore judge you in meat or drink and, or in respect of a holy day or of a new moon or of a Sabbath day. Well, let's read this in context, starting at verse 14 of Colossians chapter 2. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made show of them openly, triumphing over it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink, or in respect of a holy day, or of a new moon, or of, or of the Sabbath days. Now, this text, when it talks about new moon, holy days, Sabbath days, meat or in drink. Were there meat offerings? Yes, there were. Were there drink offerings? Yes, there were. Respect of a holy day? There were lots of holy days. Were there new moons? Yes, there were. Were there additional Sabbath days? Actually, there was. Okay? So when we're reading here in Colossians chapter 2, we're not talking about the Sabbath commandment. We're talking about the ceremonial Sabbaths and the feast days at all the special ceremonies that the Jews held. Okay? Well, how do we know this? Let's just look here for a second. The context says the handwriting of the ordinances that were against us. That's what was nailed to the cross. Does the Bible define what ordinances are? It does. Okay? If we read here in 2 Chronicles chapter 33 and verse 8, only if they are careful to do all that I have commanded them according to the whole law and the statutes and ordinances, what? By the hand of Moses, okay? The ordinances that were against them were the things written by Moses. Not God's law. Well, let's delve deeper. Let's just make sure that we understand this. The ceremonial Sabbaths of Leviticus 23. Let's just see for sure if there are actual additional Sabbaths besides the Sabbath of the Lord. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 2 and 3. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. Which you shall proclaim to be what? Holy convocations. This means that they're learning of this for the first time. God is now proclaiming some additional things to be holy convocations. These are my feasts. Six days shall work be none, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. So we define what a holy convocation is. It's a day of Sabbath rest. Now, we're going to keep reading. You should do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwelling. So God is kind of preferencing everything that he's about to say, reminding them of the original Sabbath. Then as we look down through the rest of Leviticus chapter 3, we find out that the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread was an additional holy convocation. Now, it doesn't use the word Sabbath there, but when we get to the rest of them, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles, it adds the word that this is an additional Sabbath. This is an additional Sabbath. And towards the end of the chapter, when we get to Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 38, besides, these are in addition or besides all the Sabbaths, beside the Sabbath of the Lord. So all these Sabbaths are in addition to the actual Sabbath of the Lord our God. And this is important because post-Christ's death on the cross, the early Christian church was having many debates. There were some Jewish Christians 
that were saying, you know what, you've still got to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. You've still got to have the Day of Atonement. You've still got to keep the Passover. And I'll just be honest, like it's probably not a bad thing for us from time to time to maybe do a little Feast of Tabernacles or to have a Passover meal just to kind of experience what that was like for the children of Israel. But the problem was people were saying these things were salvational when they were not because Christ had fulfilled them. Christ was the Passover lamb. And so to make people have to keep the Passover for their salvation is not according to the Bible. Not according to the Scriptures. Keeping the Passover won't save you. Only the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, can save you. Despite all of this, there's one thing that remains unchanged. God's Sabbath. Now we have to recognize this. The Sabbath is distinct. Set apart and different from all the ceremonial Sabbaths and the entire ceremonial law. The Sabbath cannot be separated from the Ten Commandments, which people keep nine of, but forget the Sabbath. The one commandment that God says to remember is the commandment that people forget. Exodus chapter 31 and verse 3, uh, verse 13 says, Surely my Sabbath you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. What is the Sabbath? It's a memorial of creation. We also find later in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5, you can write this down, it's the second writing of the Ten Commandments where Moses puts this in Scripture. We find that the Sabbath is also a reminder that it is our God who saves us. He's the one who redeems us. God tells Moses to tell the children of Israel that it's to be a reminder that I'm the Lord who delivered you out of bondage. And God is the one who delivers us out of bondage today. Now, I want to take this a little bit further. There's been some interesting studies done in recent times. In fact, there's an article written by some secular researchers titled Seven Day Human Biological Rhythms, an Expedition in Search of Their Origin, Synchronization, Functional Advantage, and Adaptive Value, and Clinical Relevance. In this article, we read the following. Why do humans require one day off per seven day span? Do seven-day rhythms bestow functional advantage to organisms? We hypothesize the seven-day time structure of human beings is endogenous in origin, a hypothesis that is affirmed by a wide array of evidence. Now, I can send this article to you if you would like it afterwards. It's quite long. It's like 33 pages long. But we're going to keep looking at a couple highlights. Linked to the Saturday or Sunday Holy Day of Rest, we also hypothesize they are representative, at least in part, of the biological requirement of, for rest and repair one day each, seven days. Just as the circadian time structure is representative, in part, of the biological need for rest and repair each 24 hours. Well, it gets interesting. Now they begin to go into scripture. With reference to the creation, one of God's commandments conveyed through Moses is six days of work must be followed by one day of rest. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. 
But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God, and in it thou shalt, do, thou shalt not do any work. For in six days the Lord God made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested on the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Then notice this. This is secular people writing here. We read the following. With the acceptance and growth of Christianity in Rome, the administrative center of the vast Roman Empire, the sanctioned day of rest was moved from Saturday to Sunday. Now the article goes on to say that the reason they did this was to strengthen their influence as the new religious center for Christians over Jerusalem. So they recognize that the Church of Rome is the one who moved Saturday to Sunday. Interestingly, nowadays, some Christian communities e.g. Seventh-day Adventists, recognize Saturday as God's day. Now it gets more fascinating in a book titled The Seven-Day Rhythms of Life by Dr. G. Kenneth Greenway. We read the following excerpts. There is evidence of built-in seven-day rhythms for many functions of the human body, wound healing, positive and negative moods, physical activity levels, nighttime sleep duration, blood pressure, acid content in the blood, red cell, red blood cell production, oral and core body temperature, urine chemistry, urine volume, sexual activity, neurotransmitters, DNA labeling, and cell mitosis and hemostatic systems. So research has shown, and there's some interesting graphs that I didn't put in today, but there's some interesting graphs where they've charted this. They found that we have a seven-day rhythm naturally built in to our bodies we have a 24-hour rhythm the circadian rhythm but there's also a seven-day cycle of that circadian rhythm now in history there are some people some world leaders that tried to break the system tried to say you know what i think it'd be more productive if we had a five-day work week okay uh, if you know who that was joseph stalin <clears throat> He was the one who championed the five-day work week in his country. And here's just a picture of the calendar. You're going to notice these symbols every five days. Five symbols every five days. And the way that system was worked, uh, it was a very devastating calendar. If Millie and Tony went to work five days out of the week, one of those days Millie would get off, but it wouldn't be the same as Tony. So not only was it disruptive to the seven-day cycle that God himself created, but it also was destroying families. Well, partway through the experiment, as they were trying to become more productive in their factories and all that they were trying to push out during the wartime, this is in 1930, you'll notice, this is leading up to World War II. <clears throat> during this timeline, you've got machines running and running, and eventually they partway through this 11-year span, say, you know what, we're going to go to a six-day calendar. But what they found is, because of the constant running, the constant work, 24 hours a day, the factories were never closed. Machines started breaking down, and there was no time to fix them, and productivity drastically declined. And finally, after about 11 years, this experiment came to an end. But Stalin wasn't the first one to try something like this. If you remember during the French Revolution, the French... We're like, you know what? We're going to abandon the seven-day calendar, and we're going to go to this 10-day calendar system. Now, the 10-day calendar system was very, very interesting. 
I was just doing some refresh on this. It was a 10-hour day, okay? But the 10-hour day were composed of 100-minute hours, okay? So this was a more perfect decimal-type system, you know? Kind of like if you ever talk to someone over in the UK, they brag about their kilometer system being much better than our miles per hour, okay? So this was kind of the goal. They were trying to change things over. And so they went with this 10-day. There were A month was composed of three 10-day weeks. And then the remaining extra like five or six days of the end of the 365-year calendar that all the world operated off at that time, they were just holiday time at the end of the year for everyone. This system also failed and was leading to great problems. And finally, they had to abandon it after about a span of about 10 years. You can't improve upon what God has done. You can't improve upon it. As we close, I want us to consider the example of Jesus. Jesus is our example in everything. And we look at our Savior. We're reminded of the fact that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. When people say we worship on Sunday because it's the Lord's Day, Sunday ain't the Lord's Day. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Therefore, the Sabbath, the seventh-day Sabbath, is the Lord's Day. And no man can change it. We've already figured that out today, that what God has blessed, no man can change. Jesus was Lord of the Sabbath, and while on earth never once did he change the Sabbath. In fact, we read in Luke chapter 4 and verse 16 that it was his custom to go into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and worship with the people of God. What's fascinating about that is as he goes into the temple that day, he stands up to read from the book of Isaiah. He finishes reading. He says, this day is the scripture fulfilled the people start to question him. They get so angry and upset that that very day they try to kill him by throwing him off the cliff. Now, I've never preached a message that has ever gotten a church so upset at me that they wanted to kill me. But we find that many things that Christ did on the Sabbath, from preaching to healing, resulted in the people wanting to kill him. Luke chapter 6, verse 1 through 9, the healing of the withered hand on Sabbath. Luke chapter 13, verse 14 through 17, loosing your donkey on the Sabbath. If your donkey goes into the ditch, right? That whole scenario, is it not lawful to do good on the Sabbath? John chapter 5, verse 1 through 16, the healing of the man at Bethsaida on the Sabbath. What we find is Jesus in his example while on earth, he reveals the true depth and beauty of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was not over once he left the synagogue. And the Sabbath shouldn't end for us too once we leave church today. The Sabbath was not just about coming and worshiping and having a good time. The Sabbath was a day meant for doing good. When we talk about rest, it's to come apart from the work of the a week. To not be working for the internet man, medicine man. Travis puts down his tools and isn't working on bikes for people. Man, he gets to take a day out of the shop where he doesn't have to weld things together or fix cars. Ernie gets to rest from his job, and Misty and Preston, you get to rest from your job. But it wasn't just about not working, right? Like the Sabbath goes so much beyond that. It was also about not making others work for us. That's why it's for the stranger within your gates, even. 
And God was very concerned, if you remember the history of the children of Israel, they got to the point where there were some merchants coming in and doing business on the Sabbath, and God says, no, this is, this is wrong. The Sabbath is meant to actually prepare us for the heavenly kingdom. You know, when we turn the Sabbath into a day of do's and don'ts, we're missing the beauty of the Sabbath. The Sabbath commandment is very simple. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. One of the keys to understand here is no unnecessary work, right? Like the Bible isn't saying, you know, you can't turn on the light. You know, some Jews actually believe that still today. You know, you can't turn on the lights on the Sabbath, right? Because that's work. But there's other things, you know, things that, you know, growing up as, as a young Adventist, my parents had to make a decision one day. My grandparents, at one point in their Christian journey, felt okay going out to restaurants on the Sabbath. And some Adventists do. They think it's just okay to go out and go eat some food. But on the Sabbath day, not only am I not to work, but I shouldn't have anyone working for me. And one of the things that we can realize is it's not necessary in this fallen world for a restaurant to be open on the Sabbath day. The hospitals, on the other hand, unfortunately, in this fallen, sad, and sick world, no one can predict when a heart attack's going to happen, when somebody's going to get hit driving to church. Hopefully they're driving to church, but we know that most of the world does not recognize God's Sabbath. And so the hospital systems, they remain open on the Sabbath. But I know that many of my faithful friends that work on the Sabbath day when they have to be in the hospital as a nurse, they give 100% of that to the Lord as an offering. Because his mission is what matters most, and they know that God's going to bless them for that. The Sabbath isn't a day for going to college football games. The Sabbath is a day that should change our relationship with these smartphones. Really. People are even starting to recommend this in the secular world that we need a Sabbath rest from our smartphones at least once a week. But here's, if I'm being honest, in my own Christian experience, the times when I find the Sabbath to be a heavy judgery are the times when I've been beholding the world. The way I grew up, six days a week, we could watch whatever we wanted. But on the Sabbath, we couldn't. And so children grow up thinking, I've got to count down the hours till the Sabbath ends, because once the Sabbath ends, then I can have a party. But I just want to pause for a second. When we think of the entertainment of this world, I was just talking with someone the other day, who, you know, he's, he's, he's a Christian gentleman, and he agreed with me that you really can't find wholesome entertainment out there anymore. But it's pretty hard. And it's not necessarily... Something that Christians should be seeking out is the entertainment of this world. But when we think about entertainment, this is a challenge that I've said before, but it's not really a challenge that I want to encourage people to take up. It's impossible, I would say, to find a movie that does not at least break one of God's commandments. Right? You think of movies today, you see an advertisement as you're trying to watch a YouTube video sermon or whatever, you know? Like, what movie doesn't involve murder? Some form of sexual fornication some form of lying, stealing, coveting. Why would we want to behold that? 
And this is just me speaking personally to you guys because I've experienced that when I'm beholding the world in my life, the Sabbath becomes a drudgery because my heart doesn't actually want to be with God in those moments. It's waiting, counting down the hours. Oh, come on, when, when is sunset? What is the time for sunset today? Because I want to go and watch a movie. I want to go and do this. Or I want to start listening to my music, which doesn't have anything to do with God. And I grew up in that dichotomy where, you know, certain music was played during the week, but on Sabbath it was not. And so it became this list of do's and don'ts when, why would I listen to somebody talking about, this one song that <laughs> comes to my mind, I think it's a Beatles song, Yellow Submarines or something? Like, <laughs> what does that have to do that really benefits me as a Christian, right? That's one song that I remember from my childhood. Nothing. Jesus says, John 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. The Sabbath is an experience that we enter into by faith, saying, Lord, help me to keep your Sabbath holy. I want to honor you, and I believe, and we can claim the promise that as we honor God, God will honor us. Uh, some friends up in Kansas, they took over a parts shop, and they told the people that they were buying it from, that were struggling to keep it open, that they were going to shut it down on Saturdays. And they said, are you crazy? That's our highest day of business. There's no way. We're struggling. We're failing. There's no way you're going to succeed. They closed the part shop on Sabbath, and the business began to boom. I know too many stories like this where we, when we honor God, when we are faithful and we say, Lord, I'm doing this by faith, believing that there is a blessing on your Sabbath day when I come apart, and I fellowship with you, and I fellowship with other believers, and I seek to do good on your Sabbath day to others, there is some blessing out there for us. I, I don't know how to explain it. The Bible doesn't say what that blessing is, but it says that God's Sabbath day is blessed. It is set apart. It is sanctified, and it will change your life. When we get to heaven, Isaiah 66 and verse 23 tells us, that it shall come to pass from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come and worship before me, says the Lord. My friends, the Sabbath was established at creation on this earth and the Sabbath is here to stay throughout all eternity. What God has done, what God has blessed, no man can change. Jesus simply invites us today to enter into his rest with joy to enter into his rest by faith. To turn away from doing our pleasure, as it says in Isaiah 58, on the Sabbath. You know, Solomon's very clear, too, that God wants us to enjoy the things that he's blessed us with. And so, yes, there is a difference between the other six days of the week. That's why the Bible specifically says, turn away from doing your pleasure and seek God with all your heart. And God promises to bless us. I want to invite you to stand and sing with me our closing song. I've changed it up. It's 290. Trust and obey. Hymn number 290. Trust and obey. For there's no other way.
Oh, oh, never mind. I was wrong. I, I put the wrong number in. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Let's just sing that. That's a good one. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. We'll go with that. Amen. Last night we were reminded again that that God wants to write his law upon our heart. This is the only way. We can't keep his law unless he writes it upon his heart, our hearts. And you know how that process begins? As the Spirit convicts us and we respond to that conviction. And we say, you know what, Lord, I'm gonna I'm gonna honor you in keeping your Sabbath. Not because keeping the Sabbath saves me, but because Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He died for me, and he asked me to keep this day holy. As we respond to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, the law is written upon our heart. That's a beautiful thing. So the appeal today is, is very simple. For some of us, we might need to ask the Lord, this is something that I ask God, you know, Lord, teach me to keep your Sabbath holy. How, how do you want me to keep your Sabbath holy? In what ways could I keep it more holy? Well, the appeal today is, are you willing to worship God in spirit and in truth and keep God's precious Seventh-day Sabbath holy as the Bible teaches us to do? If, if it's your desire to do that, I just invite you to bow your heads with me as we pray. Father God, Lord, thank you for the Sabbath rest. Thank you for setting this time aside for us to connect and commune with you. To remember that you are our creator and redeemer, the one who sanctifies us and sets us free from the power of sin. Father God, this is precious present truth for your people at the end of the time. And Lord, we desire to keep your Sabbath holy. And we ask you to teach us what that means more and more as we draw closer and closer to you. As all heads are bowed, if it's your desire to either recommit or for the first time decide to keep the Sabbath holy with all your heart, I just invite you to raise your hands as all heads are bowed. Lord, you see the hands of those who are making a decision to stand for you today. Lord, bless them in that decision, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a wonderful fellowship meal that's been prepared.